Welcome to the Forensic Cop Podcast. This is LFC Core. Looking forward. Looking back. So I need you to answer a straight question for me. Why could we not buy Timo Werner this summer? So uh, the the Timo Werner um, non-purchase, as it were, is indicative of how the Liverpool summer transfer and probably winter transfer will go. Um, essentially, the bottom line is we don't have the money. Um, and I know that sounds weird. So I know the last couple of years, uh, we've heard all about how Liverpool has set like record profits. Um, I don't know if you recall, but the headlines are always spectacular. Um, so for a, for an accounting monkey like me, I actually look at the financial statements. And the bottom line is that the last two years, Liverpool's actual operations have not made much money. In in 2017-18, it was $7 million, And in 2018-19, it was less than a million dollars. So okay, Liverpool's actually not making a lot of money. Let me stop you there for a second. Okay. If, if you had looked at these numbers prior to COVID, would you have arrived at the same results? Yes. Basically, what's going on? So to simplify it is Liverpool's operations don't make a lot of money. The money that Liverpool has made the last couple of years, the record profit has been from selling players. It's as simple as that. So the operating numbers don't look good. But then when you look at the line, and I'll read you the specific line on the financial statement, profit on disposal of player registrations. So that's selling player contracts. That's where they make all of their profit. There's no profit to be made above that. So when you say operations, from an accounting standpoint in a footballing context, what exactly does that include? So to simplify it, it basically means money you make at the gate, money you make from advertisers, uh, money you make from broadcasting, from the EPL, from the Champions League, less the amount you pay your players, the amount you pay for the stadium, the amount you pay for your back office staff, all of that. So it's your day-to-day ongoing operations just to put a football team um, out there. That's your operations. And then on the other side, including player registrations, are there any other types of non-operational revenue or costs? Yeah, they're marginal. There's interest receivable, interest payable. There's taxes, but those are not the significant ones. Um, again, if you look at the financials and you want to get super geeky, we can do that, but it's probably not worth people's times. They're just not incredibly significant. The one that really stands out is this team does not make money on a general operation. They make money on selling players, which kind of brings it back to, you know, these sales that we've had where we've, you know, bought a player, um, managed to sell them for a large amount. I'm thinking a guy like Coutinho, for example. When we sold Coutinho, I think people were super excited. I think people didn't realize just how direct the Coutinho sale was in relation to Allison and, uh, and Virgil van Dyke. Like those purchases clearly could not have happened without that sale. And so when you talk about Werner, why did we not get Werner? The bottom line is we didn't have the money. And what I mean by that is it's it's a bit worse this year than it was in previous years. Because you got to think last year, we made it to the Champions League final and won. The year before, we made it to the Champions League final and lost. So what that means is... In 2019-20 compared to 18-19, so this year to last year, we're losing 37 million pounds just from losing in the final 16 in the Champions League. So just that 
is a loss of 37 million in revenue that we would have had in the previous year. And the other significant ones are uh, contract extensions are up about 40 million pounds. And the loss of revenue from COVID in terms of match day is about 18 million. So your question, did you see this coming even before COVID? Yeah, because I'm telling you when Liverpool lost Atletico and in the round of 16, my guess is that's what put the kibosh on the Werner deal. That's interesting. So prior to that, when the Werner deal was essentially signed, sealed, almost to be delivered, where was that money coming from at the time? Was it under the assumption that we would for sure sell players like Gruwich, Wilson, Lovren, Shaq for decent money? Or is there something else that I'm missing here? So more than likely, it was uh, assumed that we would sell those players for decent money. Um not to get too accounting-y, but if you buy Lover, if you buy uh, Werner for say fifty million pounds, you would actually um, allocate 10, uh, 10 million pounds a year because you're getting him for five years. But you still need the cash. So the bottom line is, we most likely would have had to sell some players, make it far in the Champions League, as I think was expected we would do, and that's how we would have afforded him. In What's term- far? Like you're talking about semifinals. I would think so. Again, I don't have the actual financials. All I can do is look at the numbers that we have now and make educated guesses. Um, I think we were already going to have to stretch a bit to get him. And when I say stretch a bit, I mean um, Shaq would have to go, Lavron had to go. Um, we'd even need to get some decent money for Carius. Like we would need to do those. And the only guy we'd see coming back would be Werner. Now with COVID, losing the additional money. So again, match day revenue is about 18 million pound loss um, compared to last year and 37 million uh, pound loss compared to prior year for Champions League. There's no way we're going for Werner. And I got news, we're not going for anybody. This year, I think what you'll see is you'll see Liverpool make money on the transfer window. We're selling players and we're not getting anyone back. Is, is there a target number that you think the club needs to arrive in, at in, uh, with sales? So I don't know that there's necessarily a target number. So first and foremost, um, and, and I've written an article about this before, is John Henry, the owner, is not that rich a man. Again, he's a billionaire, but he's not Saudi Prince oil money rich. So he's not sinking loads of money into this club um the club needs to essentially break even on its own the second part is that there's the financial fair play and so with liverpool losing money this year most likely um there would need to be some sort of consideration for how do we make that money back and those transfers are what we make back again there's going to be changes that are made to financial fair play because of covid um but liverpool will need to find money like there's there's no other way around it um, the potential loss could be getting near a hundred million pounds. So if they sold, say, um, Lovren, um, uh, Carius and, um, Shaq for good money, you're only talking 30 to 40 million pounds. So there'd still be a big shortfall there. So I actually don't know where they go. Again, the hundred million is probably a little much. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the actual numbers are that far away. Okay. So I'm not sure if you can answer this right now, but I just pulled up the list of the 
EPL owners or the principal owners and their net worth or their their wealth. And I know it's a little bit, it's, you could call it arbitrary or, um, yeah. So John Henry is ranked 12th out of 20. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to bottom half. Everybody. Yeah. So mid table, mid table, um, S H I T I E. Anyway. So I'm going to ignore everybody above him and looking below, I see a team like Everton is number 13. I see Brighton. I see West Ham, Norwich, Bournemouth. So I'm going to pick on Everton because I know that they've spent a lot of money recently. Are they doing that irresponsibly? Or is the owner just simply to put willing to put more of his personal wealth into this investment? So John John Henry is not. So um, Everton. So first of all, for financial fair play, you can lose money every year. You just can't lose a lot of it. Liverpool is not losing money. It's making money. So let's be clear. The next thing is that our salaries on Liverpool are are huge. Um, our salaries are second only to Man City. So this year, um, there the salaries will be over three hundred million pounds, which is absolutely staggering. So when you take a look at Everton, for example, their average salary—not average salary, sorry—their team salary is expected to be um, about eighty million pounds. So they're spending. 220 million pounds less than we are so i would assume they have money to spend on transfers i see okay i think i'm understanding where this is coming from so so this this comes back to liverpool got top players and then re-upped them for five years so what that means is instead of going out and getting new players to come in we no longer have the money for that we are using the money that we would get for bringing in players to keep the ones we have is really what we're saying. Right. So this, like I'm, I'm even looking beyond 2020, this is rather bleak and we're, we're not that far away from where we started with these owners. They came in and they saved us from possible administration, but it sounds as if we were just extremely fortunate to bring in the right coach at the right time and have the right group of players. And that could change it within a season. So I'm curious as to what their plans are to ensure that they be able to sustain continued relevance as a top team. So I'm, I would say that personally as a, as an accountant looking at this, I am, a bit surprised like i went into it hearing you know klopp saying i'm not sure we have the money and there's a lot of talk about we're gonna get this guy or that guy uh if the board approves it and that's like finance speak for we have no money don't even come ask um and so when i actually looked at the numbers i'm like wow not only do we not have money we're like losing money so i am a bit surprised and to your point i'm a bit concerned what i will say is um, for those people who maybe are saying, oh, it can't be that bad, do think back to the whole thing where, you know, Liverpool is one of the top teams in the world and they did decide to furlough employees to try to save some money there. Again, furloughing the employees, you, you know, the, the government is not going to pay for Salah's salary. 
you're talking about your rank and file employees. So that was not hundreds of millions of dollars they were going to get. That was millions, maybe 10, 20 million, probably not even that. Again, without seeing their actual payroll, I couldn't tell you, but it wasn't a ton of money, but they were still looking to get that kind of, I don't want to say nickel and diming, but that amount's still important to them because they're in the hole. So to me, that's a bit of evidence that they're not financially as secure as maybe some other teams are. Right. And I I remember when that happened, they were very quick to take advantage of the the, um, handout that the government was offering companies. And due to the uproar um, from fans alike, they they went back on that decision. And I remember the chief executive making a comment around that there were there would be ramifications or there would be an impact to, to them turning around on, on that decision, even though they understood why there was an uproar. And I always thought that, hmm, I wonder if this would affect the Timo Werner deal, but the rumors kept flying. So I assumed, okay, no, we're still good. Everything's fine. It will happen. And then lo and behold, it didn't happen. So that was probably one, one way that they were, they saw an opportunity to be able to push a, a deal like that through. So again, it's one of those things where, um, as a gut feel, I was like hearing what they're saying. I'm worried about how much money they have. I went through their financial statements for, for last year and prior years. Um, I went through, uh, you know, UEFA, um, money listing and, um, EPL money listing, the broadcast deals, how they're going to split money. I did as much as I could. Again, I don't see players contracts, but I'm using what's available and I built a fairly, reasonable model there so you know the the numbers are worse than i thought they were but they're actually not surprising and they're starting to line up so to your point the the decision to try to get some government money for furlough was a bit surprising but now that i'm looking at the numbers i understand it the fact that klopp is saying you know the board will need to approve we'll need to see it might be another quiet summer that makes sense too and the fact that you had that guy um, from Liverpool say this might affect operations going forward, he was clearly saying we don't have money. Like all of it seems to be tying into the fact that I didn't make some horrible, egregious mistake, which I wish I had. I mean, again, I'm an accountant. That's not really what we do. So the numbers are real. There is a shortfall. Like I'm not saying they're going to go out and sell Salah, but you know the money needs to be made up somewhere. So I don't know where that is. But there, there is, there should be some concern for fans in that, um, you know, we're we're doing well. The team is fantastic, but the truth is, we have some of the top players in the world, and those top players command top salaries. And Liverpool is not um, one of the top teams in the world in salary. They're not Real Madrid, they're not Barcelona, and they're not Manu. We don't print money like they do. So we need to live within our means. And unfortunately, um, we're a little bit beyond our means with the salaries this year. And to your point, those salaries will continue. You know, it's not like um, people's salaries are coming down. These salaries have been renegotiated. And you got to think a guy like Trent's probably going to get an increase in the next year or two, maybe. So it could potentially even go higher. So you may see a surprise sale. Um, I don't know what they're going to do, but I think standing pat, might not work and it'll be interesting to see when they actually announce their financials at the end of the year i wouldn't be surprised if for the first time in a while they show a loss facts and figures 
Okay, so now that the season is over, um, you know how much I, I love stats and I look them over all the time. So I thought it might be a little bit of fun to take a look at some of the uh, stats from the season. Not your typical goal scored assists, all of those, but some of the more uh, ancillary stats, as it were. And uh, there are some that kind of jump out as being a little bit more surprising than you might think. So I thought I'd throw them over to you and see how many of these you can actually get. So... Uh, First one that I'm going to go with is the most headers won per game. So I'm going to give you a hint. It's always the defender. But who do you think it is on the team? Okay, so this is an average over the EPL. Average games. per game of headers won. All games or just EPL? EPL. Okay. The obvious is Van Dyke, but I feel like that's too obvious. And that's the thing. It's actually not Van Dyke, which was mind-blowing. Joe Gomez? So, funny you should say that. Gomez sucks. So, Van Dyke has five aerials won a game, and Gomez has half that. <laughs> so, it's actually like, you know, we've talked a lot about how Gomez is not a great header. Yeah. Wow, the numbers prove it out. He literally has two and a half headers per game, uh, aerials won per game, and Van Dyke has five. So who's better than Van Dyke? The question is Matip or Lovren? Oh, Joe Matip. Oh, well, Lovren might be better, but I don't think he played as many games. Well, but it's per game. So it's it's averaged over the, over the 90 minutes. I'd say Lovren then, for sure. No, it's actually Matip. Really? Yeah, so Matip is actually number one um, at 5.2 a game. Van Dyke is number two at five, and Lovren is 4.9. And then Gomez is half of them at two and a half. That's anyway, we've already talked about that. That that's not insignificant, that drop off. That's not insignificant and that's not okay for a defender because no. he's basically uh one header a game above Fabinho. And yeah. not even one and a half above Sadio Mane. So now you're sitting here and you're that's just not good enough for a defender. We've talked about it, but more interestingly, so Joel Matip over Van Dyke was a bit of a surprise to me. But I mean Matip, Van Dyke, and Lovren are all in the same ballpark. So that's typical of your uh, of your defenders there winning a lot. Uh, next one, this one's actually, if you think about it, you'll get it, which is the most fouls per game. I bet you could predict number one, two, and three. Hmm. See, now I feel like I'm under pressure. Oh, you okay. are under pressure. The, the Jeopardy clock is going, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> most fouls per game. Uh, Milner should be in number three somewhere. No, he's not even close. No way. Yeah. Oh, uh, Sadio Mane? Sadio Mane, number one. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. He's, uh, but his, his foul is always so clean. I know, except when he got really like angry with the Atletico game, but that's not counted in here. But yes, he actually fouls more than anyone else on the team. Second, you'll also get this. Okay. Uh, second, Robertson. No, you got to think more like from a defensive point of view. Where's the ball coming through? Oh, um, Fab. Yeah, it's got to be Fab. Uh, and and third right behind Fab, subbing in his position is? Hendo. Yeah. So Mane, Fab, and Hendo. So, that, so Mane, I think, is the guy that stands out more than everybody else, which is a little bit surprising. But Fab and Hendo is not surprising. Mane is, though. Like When you watch the games, you know it. But as a forward, to be the highest fouling guy on the team is a bit of a surprise. And I think... When I said earlier that his fouls are clean, it's because he fouls up the field. 
where there's little risk to Liverpool, but he fouls consistently, and so which is why he probably he doesn't get as many yellow cards compared to Fab or Henderson because their fouls are a lot more strategic. Sadio and Mane, and their fouls yeah. are stopping a goal scoring chance or exactly. a rush or or last man back or something like that. Yeah, with Sadio Mane, it's just that's just Sadio Mane. Yeah, that's just how he goes. Okay, so moving on, the next one is the most blocks per game. What's a block? A uh, guy takes a shot and you put your foot in the way. Or your face in the way, whichever one makes you feel happy. Lovren. Absolutely. Because you know what the funny thing is? I was actually surprised about that, but then I thought about it. He gives up the ball so much he needs to recover and block it. <laughs> you know what it is for me? I, I just, anytime I think of Lovren right now, I either think I, I either think of him making a mistake or I think of him with his hands behind his back taking a shot. Like, I just have this visual of him as a defender his position is okay. My hands are behind my back, and I'm just I'm just gonna block the shot. Like, but you, and and that, you're that's right. His move. That's his move. That's his move because in step one that you said it's him giving up the ball or making a mistake, so he needs to recover. So I thought that was actually pretty funny. So it it kind of proves out um, the the whole you know. Uh, a uh, thing of you know he's he's not that good a defender he clearly gets himself in interesting positions so it ends up <laughs> that he needs to um you know take attempt a, a, a attempt a block because that's the only uh that's the only thing he's got going um again um not not to criticize him too much but that one was a pretty big uh, gimme so then the next one i got which is of course it'll be the front three but which of the front three do you think has the least shots per game and conversely you can get the most shots per game so you think who's got the most and who's got the least the most has to be mosala absolutely (laughs) i mean that's beyond question especially in the last (laughs) since he decided that the record for goals was his own uh, requirement the team's requirements were all uh, passed yes so salah's number one the least i say sadio mane it is the surprising thing for me is sadio mane is at just over half of the shots that salah takes wow yeah so salah's at 3.9 shots per game and mane's at 2.2 and and how many is firmino 2.6. 2.6. Okay, so they're close. So they're close, but Salah is a goodly way ahead. Like, it's it's quite surprising. And and that, that tells me that Sadio Mane is a more intelligent player because we've all watched the games, and we know that a lot of the shots that um, Mo Salah takes, he shouldn't be taking. But he just takes a lot of shots because... He has his he he has form right. So a couple seasons ago, those shots were going in, but realistically, you shouldn't be taking a lot of those shots. So interestingly, your answer relates to the next question, which is who's the most fouled player on the team? Money. Absolutely, the most as you said, it's funny because you even said it straight out. The one of the more cerebral players, he's a more thinking guy. He's not just out there to shoot. So yes, absolutely, he gets himself in those positions to, um, you know, get get taken down. He gets himself in good positions. Then he puts his body in front of the ball in a way that forces um, the the defender to foul him. I remember Raheem Sterling just in the season before he left Liverpool, he used to do that a lot. He was really growing that that art of just being able to 
attract a foul and then he'll just grab the ball because it's obviously a foul even before the ref calls it <laughs> yeah kind of hilarious okay so moving on so that one uh, you've you've done quite well i'm very impressed um so the next one is most passes per game so i mean if you really stop and think about it the most passes per game are obviously going to be the central defenders right so you got van dyke number one joe gomez number two but most passes per game who do you think between robertson and alexander arnold i'd say robertson Yes, I was actually a bit surprised by that. I would have thought yeah. Alexander Arnold. Because he's a busier player, right? He's always having those one twos on the left wing with Sadio Mane. So those obviously count up as passes. Now, Alexander Arnold's passes are more exquisite and and they 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 stand out, but he doesn't have that interplay with Mo as much. Perhaps he does with Henderson to to an extent when Henderson's on the field. But yeah, um Robertson and Mane that they're always so busy out there on the left. So that's a wow, you're you're uh, I'm I'm getting more and more impressed with this. So yes, if you actually take a look at so the average passes is Robertson, but key passes is Alexander Arnold. So he has more key passes, significantly more key passes. Um, and he's number one on the team in key passes by quite a bit. So that's that's a good point. His passes tend to be of more value. So that's in my head why I was thinking, you know what, this guy must be the passing guy on the team. But you're right. Robertson's playing the short ones where I'm thinking Alexander Arnold's passes are the ones that are the crosses in the middle, the key ones that lead to chances or goals. Right. So um, next one is going to be the most long balls on the team. Van Dyke. Wow, that's a good one. Van Dyke, yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny because the term long ball has a negative connotation however the way we use them it's extremely uh, influential so, oh yeah it stretches the d it yeah. it it tires them out throughout the game and it makes them have to be constantly aware of where our players are but you're right so van dyke is number one i actually thought number two would have been number one which is trent alexander arnold i would have thought he would be number one do you have number three i i, I want to guess who number three is you'll never guess it lovren no chance. You'll never guess it. It's not even oh, worth trying. Oh, oh Allison? <laughs> Funny you should say it. It's actually Adrian. Oh, Allison, no Allison is number five. Jordan That's Henderson funny. is number four. But yeah, so Adrian is number three. Hendo is number four. And Allison is number five. <laughs> That's interesting. So technically, again, Al Adrian didn't play as many games. But per game, he averaged four and a half long balls, where Allison only averages four. You don't happen to know what the actual, the official distance is to qualify a long ball? Uh, no. So I, I did look that up. It's difficult to tell and every site kind of has its own thing. Okay. So again, this is more fun. I'm, I'm um, looking at a number of sites and just trying to get like, like data here, but this is more for fun. It's, I, I think they, they have like a long ball is 20 or 30 yards or something like that. But um, offhand, I, I don't know. It's just more interesting in a way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Adrian over Allison, I thought was surprising. But you're you're actually getting a lot more of these than I thought. So then the next one is the most through balls per game. Oof. No, super easy. Don't overthink it. Oh, you see, now I'm overthinking. I mean, it, it could be a whole a whole bunch of people. But no, no. Well, that's actually not a bad guess. But he's not that great. No. 
like like I would say, Firmino, Keita, or Henry. Keita. Keita is number Keita. one. Yeah. My question, what I was about to ask was if there's a minimum number of games. Because, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's been a long season, so I almost don't really recall how many games he played prior to the restart. But um, I No, they calculate it out per sure. minutes. They calculate it out per minutes because even Neko Williams is on the list. Oh, okay then, yeah, for sure Keita. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so Keita absolutely makes sense. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then, um, the, the other interesting one that I thought was, and this was going to be fun is most inaccurate long balls is the same person who had the most inaccurate short passes. And you said there's no minimum number of players. No, no, no minimum number of, of plays. No, of, of minutes or games. Yeah, no. Hmm. Most inaccurate long balls and inaccurate short passes. Okay. Hold on. Hmm. The fact that you say it's the same play. If if you had said inaccurate short passes, I would have said Origi. Um, <laughs> but maybe maybe that's just based on the last game I saw. Um, yeah, it so seemed that way, mind. didn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. Most inaccurate. Can you tell me if they're in the midfield, forward, or attack? Uh, they're in the defense, actually. I was gonna say, okay, Lovren. <laughs> Again, you would think it, but this one blew my mind. It's Trent. Yeah, see, that's what I would thought, but uh, short passes as well. And that's the thing. When I looked it up, I saw, oh, inaccurate long balls, it's Trent. Actually, Adrian is close to that too. But sh- long balls, inaccurate long balls is Trent and then Lovren. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then I noticed the short passes. And here's the crazy part. So number one in short passes is Trent, and number two is Robertson. Although, to be fair, I mean – Somebody has to be number one, right? So are we are we talking about a marginal difference between number one through ten? No, we're talking about significant difference. Really? Number one is Trent with eight point seven inaccurate short passes per game. Number ten is Van Dyke with four point nine. So like almost half. Okay. So I... so Trent has eight point seven inaccurate short passes per game. Robertson has wow. eight point two. That is ridiculous. 8.7 a game. 8.7 a game. Robertson has 8.2. And then third place is Hendo with under seven. Mm. Like Salah being there, Firmino being in the top five, Salah and Firmino are four and five. That makes sense to me. They're forwards. They try funny passes, things like that. But Alexander Arnold with the short pass and Robertson too, that is surprising. That just goes to show, actually, okay, I, 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 I'm seeing that now. It, it, it kind of goes to show the way we play. The what was so reliant on our fullbacks playing. So, when Klopp came to Liverpool, he played heavy metal football, right? And in our team, our fullbacks still play heavy metal football. They're up and go, up and go. I mean, Robertson obviously is a little bit more, but Trent as well. I mean, they're they're pretty reckless, and they do give up a lot of of missed passes. But I didn't realize it would be up to eight per game. But yeah, of all the team. I, I was actually going to pick the goalie, or I can now see that the fullbacks would be up there. But I'm still surprised that they're they're both interacting long and short passes. 
Yeah, I the long ones I understood, the short ones I was surprised, but yeah, and you're not you're not far off the inaccurate long ones. The goalies are are high up there too. Both Adrian and Allison are in the top 5. Huh. So I, yeah, those are some fun stats for the season. Again, great season, a uh, great title win, but just some fun stuff to to think about at the end of the season. Let's let's hold on to this and then do the same thing next season and compare. Critique and commentary. So I was thinking that with the end of the season, given that the Forensic Hop has been live with podcast articles at theforensichop.com since the end of January, why don't we just take a moment in this commentary segment to just reflect on our performance? So let's let's just talk about what we've done well and things that we know that we can do better and our plans for the immediate future. So, okay, that's interesting. I mean, for me, I'll be honest, I've, I've enjoyed this process because, you know, we've, we've been following Liverpool for a while and we always have conversations and we always say, well, I bet this and what about that? And so doing the, the forensic cop and writing the articles at the forensiccop.com now, it's actually making me take the time to look things up. So these are things that legitimately interest me. I've just never had someone or something push me to look them up. And so I kind of like the idea of, you know, um, like, for example, when we had that conversation about how Liver- how well Liverpool is doing on opposition corners, I actually took the time to research and see how many goals did we score off their corners versus how many goals did they score. And that's the kind of thing I don't think I would have done before the forensic cop. Do you find that the way that you're digesting Liverpool news from other websites or podcasts and even watching the games live has changed now that you know that you're expecting to turn that into content for other fans? Yeah, so I I think I look at the games a bit more analytically than I did before, which was kind of already happening, but this kind of pushed it a little bit further along. Um, So I... Not to say I don't take enjoyment from the game, but I make notes of, you know, players doing certain things or um, things that maybe other people might not notice on first glance. Like I remember um, one of the things that we got into that kind of got us into the forensic podcast was when Firmino finally scored earlier this year. And the first thing he did was run over and hug Klopp. And I remember we were talking and I said they had a conversation before the game. And that's him thanking Klopp for showing faith in him. And that was before any interviews, before any anything. So it's that kind of stuff that I feel like, you know, I'm able to see. So I'm trying to pass it on. What about you? Do you feel like you see things differently? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, I think, and we talked about this off off the air, but but I think with myself, I'm intentionally trying to remain a fan when I watch games. So I'm, I'm trying to continue to enjoy the games as I normally would a fan. Where, where I'm noticing a, 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 a difference is in the past, if Liverpool, if, if I'm watching a game and we lose and we don't play well, let's say, I would just totally disconnect for a few hours, right? Just out of frustration. But now I'm, I'm, I'm finding that I'm, I'm able to objectively, even even though I'm disappointed with the game, but still know that there's some things that I, I want to, to touch on or reflect on and and hold on to even in the middle of my frustration. So, that that's certainly been a, 
a learning process. And of course, it's easier when the team is, has, has had an amazing season as we have um, in 2019-2020. But um, so, so I'm hoping that if, hopefully it never happens, but if we end up having a, a slump, I, I'm still able to continue to to be a fan, but also be professional about the situation and, and, and continue to bring um, my my thoughts and opinions and, and translate that into content for other fans out there. Yeah, so f- for me, the same, like, I feel like I've become more analytical. Uh, there's still, of course, the, the fan in me, because that'll never go away. But you know, looking at the game analytically has almost helped me in, in those losses. I can take them um, and look at them and say, this is what we did well, this is what we did badly. Like, for example, the loss to Man City, where we we lost big, right? Um, I find that that was, I looked at that and I said, you know what? The game just wasn't going our way. We generated good chances and I was able to take it more from a clinical point of view as opposed to, like you said, just being ticked off and just down and saying, you know, that was a horrible loss. Like I was able to kind of take it from a more, um, I don't want to say detached point of view, cause I'm not detached from Liverpool, but I was able to see it in a bit of a different light. Yeah. And, and I think as, as everything works, worked out, um, I, I think this was the perfect season for us to kick off the forensic cock, because if I recall last season, the continued back and forth, uh, towards the tail end of the season where we were up one week and then Man City will play a game and then they now took the lead and then we won and then we'd wait for for them to win and we'd hope they don't win, et cetera. Just a whole back and forth. It was way too stressful. I'm not sure if I, I would have been able to turn off my fan, my complete fan um, mode and and start to analyze and to, to, to review the games live as they were occurring as I am now from uh, with this season, because we started in, in, in the second half of the season, the, by the first half of the season, the, the, the league was essentially or, or, or already won. So by the time that we, we kicked off the first cop with the podcast and the articles and the website, we already pretty much knew that the league was ours. So I was able to just sit back and analyze and really dig deep into what I was watching and observing and, and be able to, to, to spit that out. Yeah, like I, so I found that. And then the other stuff I found, like, cause I actually did enjoy writing the articles, like some of the things like, um, in watching how, how Allison played and realizing that, you know, people are afraid to shoot on him. And I actually did the research and found that li- literally other players are intimidated by Allison. I did find that kind of stuff. Cool. Um, I will take full credit for accurately predicting that the EPL was not going to shut down after COVID, that they were going to find a way to come through it. So I do kind of feel, you know, um, not proud, but I feel like, you know what, we we don't make a whole ton of predictions, but some uh, the majority of the stuff that we say ends up being accurate in the end. Uh, the one thing that super stresses me and makes me less happy is the prediction that Liverpool are in. Uh, not as financially secure as we might have thought ahead of time. Now that I've actually looked at everything, that makes me a bit sad because, you know, I, I don't want to go back to the times when we were uh, legitimately in trouble. Um, but I, I'll be hopeful and I'll say that, you know, we'll f- the, the management will find a way to get through it. But just all in all, I mean, it was a fun season. I think to your point, not stressing week in and week out about how, you know, we're um, 
are we going to win? Has Man City won? Like that allowed the season to be more fun and kind of allowed us to really play in in our opinions and, and our analysis. Yeah. And what I'm looking forward to now is, especially with the season over, the the, the monkeys off our back with, with um, our e- first EPL title ever. Um, I'm looking forward to now with us taking a step back and really looking to see how we can further engage with 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 our newfound fans and uh, followers across the different platforms. So not just on on our podcasts and the websites, but even social media and everything else. And we really want to remember that we are fans first of all, and we're putting out content that we would listen to and read. And so we want to bring our um, fans, other fans out there. Uh, on the journey along with us. So uh, we'll be trying new things like like um, asking for uh, questions and answers that, that we can explore on podcasts or even articles. We'll be digging a little bit deeper into the financial aspect of Liverpool FC. So a lot of questions that I had prior to you and I uh, becoming friends around just, just the how money really works in football. Because Every day you read an article that states what looks like facts when really a lot of it is is um, based on assumptions because to your point in your recent article, a lot of the for the, financial, the financial figures, they're not actually released. So um, journalists and pundits, they have to make a lot of assumptions. So we, we, we just want to try and present all of that information to, to other fans out there and, and then hopefully it'll help them understand and, and empathize with uh, the people that are running um, the football club that we support. And, and so we're not just always giving them a hard time, but we understand that they they are they also want to succeed, but they they're working within um, particular constraints that, that we want to highlight. Yeah. And, and again, to your point, if, if people have questions again, you know, I I sit here and and we think about what would be interesting to know uh, from a financial point of view, what to analyze, what stats to look at. If people have questions, if people wonder, uh, you know, feel free to to come to the website, send us a message, um, or go to on social media and ask us a question. And I'm happy to look into uh, into things that you know. Again, like uh, like you said, we're fans, so other fan questions uh, we welcome. And again, we look at things from a different point of view. I think a lot of people come out there with uh, their opinions and and kind of give the same uh, run of the not run of the mill answer, but but fairly standard answers that everybody kind of seems to talk about. We're looking for a bit of a different way to look at things. We're looking at more of an analytical view, more of a financial view, and and it's fun. And, and we're excited to take the next steps with our fans. Yeah. So over the summer. Um, as you know, we've been releasing an episode of LFC Core every week, and that's where we touch on. So we have three segments. You're listening to them right now, but um, they're looking forward, looking back, facts and figures, and critique and commentary. So we'll continue to put out those podcasts um, over the summer or the few weeks break that, that we'll have this particular year because the season will be starting in mid-September. We will not be releasing the LFC core epi- uh, podcasts on a weekly basis at, um, as, as we have been until um, 
the preseason or the new season resumes. But we will be exploring some other podcast formats. Uh, Some things that we've talked about off the air loosely are having one that's more of a financial focus. We want to also look at uh, transfers. And rather than putting them all into one podcast, we may try a few things like just having a dedicated podcast to a specific uh, question around around, um, certain topics. Um, But it's all up in the air right now, but we just wanted to give you a heads up. So thanks to everyone for listening and and being part of it with us. It was a fun time. And, uh, you know, we'll release stuff in the summer and we uh, look forward to uh, uh, the new upcoming season and seeing Liverpool uh, raise the title for a second year. For more stories, analysis and articles, go to the ForensicCop.com website.